Welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as we jump back into the review saddle. So it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. We have the, the joys of life getting in the way, the joys of a busy store, which of course is always welcome. Uh, it's just left time a little bit more limited, but things are starting to settle down a little bit now. We're getting back into the old routine, recording on a Monday as much as possible. Although we have come up with a slightly more new delayed format, which we'll get into in a moment. But we're going to be chatting releases today that actually came out the 26th of May. Now, a forewarning, this will be spoiler-filled. I actually remembered at the start, how proud of me are you, Mr. I, Keith Miller? My my heart runneth over with pride. <laughs> uh, your host is always Alan, who's actually remembered to throw a spoiler warning out even before introducing himself. And uh, again, joined by Keith. So how are you on this Monday evening, good sir? Yeah, I am doing all right. This was my first Monday back at work after a week of annual leave. Uh, so we have been down to Cork, uh, some lovely weather down there. And uh, I have been up to, so literally one end of the country to the other. I've been up to the north coast as well for my younger brother's 40th birthday. And that, uh, it's always a kick in the teeth for the older brother. Uh, but yeah, we had uh, we had a great old time and uh, I gifted him the uh the three volumes of middle west and the perfect ogn from brubaker and phillips in pulp uh which he uh which he appreciated greatly as well as the the little pin badge that uh, you also threw in for him whenever i bought that stuff in the shop thanks yeah, very much yeah i mean that's just a way of making sure he enjoys middle west he's no no uh choice now he has to wear the badge with pride but <laughs> Yeah, you know, I will I will put you down as a good brother in, in recommending those titles. Obviously, Middle West, we've spoken so highly about so many times, and, and Pulp, yeah, just, I think it took it as best original graphic novel for us last year, and it's a, a title that just gets better with each uh, subsequent read, to be honest. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, good choices there all around. Yeah, I mean, it's been busy for us as well. I mean, just the, the store's been getting busier and busier. We were lucky enough recently to have that little Belfast Live article, and that's brought some new people to the store, some new eyes to the store, which is always a good thing. A lot of younger readers coming in again on top of that, and actually a few different people we've had in who have been talking a little bit more about the podcast and so forth recently. So we definitely got to get back on the horse here just to you know keep our fans happy, however limited oh. they may be. <laughs> Such as they are. <laughs> Such as they are. But yeah, I'd, I'd mentioned about a new format. I mean, the thing is, as you may have surmised by now with myself and Keith, you know, we're, we're very serious comic readers. We... We have a very definite fear of missing out when it comes to comics. We hate trade waiting. Uh, we're very much a, a single issue died in the wool kind of comic reader. So our pull list sometimes can can be anywhere upwards of 25 to 40 issues, believe it or not. I believe you earmarked a, a future a future day that is it's almost hitting 40, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We uh, Whenever I was, I was uh, submitting my pull list for, for August from the last previews book, I noticed there was a week in August that hits like 39 books and I thought, okay, this this is becoming a wee bit of a problem. <laughs> it only but, took you 30 years to work that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I maybe have to do a little bit of uh, diligent diligent pruning. But yeah, I mean, we very often, you know, with New Comic Day being Wednesday, we've up until now tried to record on the following Monday, which isn't even given us a week. Uh, and that's a week in which you know I am lucky enough to have a full-time job and uh, and, a, and a loving girlfriend as as Alan also is, despite his full-time job being in in the store in a comic store. Uh, but it doesn't leave us a lot of time to actually read and inwardly digest the books uh, in order to present to uh, to our listeners a, a balanced view of what it was we we liked or and or didn't like. Um, so I think 
building in that extra week will allow us to just take a wee bit more time and, and not rush and you know not not have not have the reading of, of comics which is something we both really really love become a chore or a job uh you know because that's the last thing that's the last thing we would want yeah that's always the worry that sometimes you're just reading through the books and maybe sometimes even powering through them just to to get to the end of them and as as Keith says it's something we enjoy it's something we do to relax and you know it's something we enjoy sharing you know certainly our opinions and our, our takeaways from them so so with that in mind, we're going to continue as much as possible with the Monday night recording, releasing pods on a Tuesday, but we're just going to delay it by a week now, so it'll give us that extra week to to get through everything, make our own notes, you know, make our own sort of minds up on, on what we thought, but it also means it gives you guys longer to read the books and therefore not be worried about spoilers, not be worried about having things ruined for you, because... It is tough for us to talk about things without spoiling them. You, you're basically breaking it down to, comic was good, can't say anymore. So <laughs> we want to go into a little deeper than that, as you may have noticed with our you know, lengthy reviews podcast. So yeah, it's going to be that new format. So we're recording this on the Monday night. This is going to cover the 26th of May releases. We're hoping to record tomorrow night, which will be the 2nd of June releases. And then from there, we'll pretty much fall into that delayed week. And therefore, again, gives you guys lo- uh, longer as well to pick up your own pulls. So, But with that in mind, I mean, we'll, we'll filter out some uh, some news from the last couple of weeks into today's pod and also tomorrow. So there, there have been a couple of big announcements, certainly since the last time we recorded. I mean, there's big changes of foot on, at Marvel. Uh, we had seen Donny Cates tease for a long, long time there. What was his next title going to be? Of course, uh, coming out this week is actually Venom 200 or Venom 35 in his and Rand Stegman's run. That brings uh, an end to his run on everyone's favourite symbiote. So it was all about what was his next title going to be. And it just seemed to be quite coincidental, didn't it? That Mr. Al Ewing's run was starting to come to an end on a Mortal Hulk with 50 coming up soon. Mm, exactly. I mean, and obviously... Donny Cates is on Thor at the minute, but uh, you know he was on that concurrently with Venom. Uh, so, so yeah, so, so yeah, that 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 Immortal Hulk run coming to an end after after fifty glorious issues, and what and what is turning out to be a character defining all time great run on Hulk uh, with with Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk. Someone's going to have to step in and, and 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 take over Hulk while the title's still strong. Um, you know that 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 end was planned, and there's no point in, in going beyond it. So so it looks like Al Ewing is is handing over Hulk to to Donny Cates, and I, I I doubt it'll be the Immortal Hulk. Uh, I very much doubt that. I think it's just Hulk, isn't it? It Incredible is Hulk. It's just uh, solicited so far as Hulk number one. So it's Donny Cates going to be on writing duties, and then our favorite Invincible artist, Ran Otley is going to be doing art for that. There's been some pages released so far. They've released the cover for it as well. I think Otley's a good fit for this. You know, he he certainly likes his his artwork to be more action-based, more, you know, quite visceral. Uh, it looks like they can get away with a lot in this in terms of using uh, green blood, shall we say, instead of the <laughs> traditional red. If you've read Invincible, you know Ran Otley is not someone who shies away from gore-filled action. And when you've got someone as uh, violent as the Hulk and you want to work him into a, a mainstream comic, I don't think you're going to have him knocking out teeth in the same way that uh, some of those epic, epic, sometimes issue-long fights in Invincible. Mm. So uh, they've, they've, they've found a way to uh, to bring him into the Marvel fold in that sense. So he's he's going to be the artist on Hulk. And then we, 
we just found it really interesting that they're actually going to be doing a switcheroo in a way. So Donny Cates coming from Venom over to Hulk and Al Yoon is going from Hulk over to Venom. And it's actually going to be co-written as well. And I was really excited to see his his co-writer for this is going to be none other than Ram V, who you know we obviously chatted to not too long ago, one of our favorite writers around at the moment. Doing great stuff at DC, certainly with Swamp Thing, with Justice League Dark backups and Catwoman. But it's good to see him, you know, branched out. It's, it's so good. I know we, we talk a lot about, you know, I'm Mr. DC or Mr. Marvel, blah, blah, blah. I think it's so great to see writers writing for both companies that they're not so mm. territorial anymore. You know, Chip Zdarsky can write Daredevil at and, and Spider's Shadow at Marvel, but he can work on Batman Urban Legends at DC. It's it's a wonderful thing to see, I think. I know, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think the maybe the the era of like exclusive con- contracts that has has dogged a lot of the the early 2000s is coming to an end um and, and allowing that and, and obviously these these writers being i guess superstars in their in their own rights you know they're they're swapping liberally between uh you know the the big two and the the independents uh they're you know they're and they're the creator owned stuff and the, the licensed stuff so i think yeah i think it's i think it's great i mean i'm really interested Kates and Ewing will have a bit of a chat as to what Kates is holding on to and, and from the Immortal Hulk and what Ewing is holding on to from, from Kate's Venom run and, and how that'll how that'll work. So I mean Immortal Hulk continue it's gonna to have to be a different book. It's gonna to have to be, you know, a different a different book. You could almost take Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk if it wasn't so closely tied to you know the Marvel universe. You could always you could take it into its own pocket universe. I mean, I guess possibly that's the sort of thing they would do with the new reconstruction of the the uh, the Infinite Universe at DC. You know, um, but yeah, it'll be at the same time. I wouldn't like to see everything thrown out the window uh, because they they both have been epic runs. So yeah, interesting to see what's what's going on here, and especially whenever you look at. What's coming up in the extreme carnage uh, with Flash Thompson as Agent Venom back, and uh, you know Eddie Brock? Well, we'll find out what Eddie Brock's fate is this week uh, coming. Um, and uh, yeah, interesting times indeed, Alan. Interesting times. Yeah, very much so. I mean that that writing team and Venom's great, and then you also have industry legend Brian Hitch on art for that as well. So, in terms of learning more about that, they're both set, uh, scheduled to come out this November. But prior to that, there's going to be a free comic book day, Spider-Man Venom number one issue, and also a free comic book day, Avengers slash Hulk issue. So free comic book day this year is slated for August 14th. So keep an eye out for that. They're all on order for the store. And you guys will certainly be able to pick them up at Coffee and Heroes. So uh, as well as that, in the last week or so, there's also been the release of the 2021 Eisner Awards nominations. So Eisners are essentially the, the equivalent of the Oscars for the comic world, except usually the right person wins unlike with the oscars which is more of a popularity contest but i digress but the the awards came out the or the nominations already came out there's around 32 categories or something and you know we we can't quite comment on every single uh category because there's things that we certainly haven't read things like best short story things like uh best publication for early readers that kind of thing but we're just going to throw out a few suggestions for Certainly ones that we would maybe have a little bit more input uh, into and maybe a little bit more of an opinion on. And these are stacked categories, like these are every one of them you're going, oh, but, but. Yeah, I think they've been listening to our podcast this year when it comes to these nominations in some cases because 
not only have we sort of uh, talked about their virtues all year round, but following the the news section of this, quite a few of these are going to be reviewed and certainly talked about a little bit more as well. So the ones we were just going to have a quick look at and, and sort of offer our opinion on. So you've got Best Continuing Series. So six nominations here. You've got Bitter Root by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown and Samford Green. That's published through Image. You've got Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto, of course, through Marvel. The Department of Truth by James Tinney the Fourth and Martin Simmons at Image. Gideon Falls by Jeff Lemire and Andreas Sorrentino also at Image. You may see a pattern emerging here. Stillwater by Chip Zdarsky. Two two nominations in the one category, jeez. And Raymond K. Perez again with Image. And then you have also Usagi Ujimbo by Stan Sakai. And that's through IDW. I mean, this is a tough category. What what Oof. takes it for you here? Um, I mean, I haven't I haven't read Gideon Falls, I know it's finished, and I'm looking forward to, to getting a look at that. So for me, that, that has to be out at the minute, just through lack of my own knowledge. So I don't know. It would have to be either Daredevil or Department of Truth. I'm loving Department of Truth um, at the minute, though Daredevil is super strong and great looking. It's interesting because they're all at different levels as well, because Daredevil's mm. in around 30 issues in, Department yeah. of Truth's still in the single digit numbers, so Stillwater, uh, Usagi Ujimbo's been on for a long time, and then as you stated, Gideon Falls is finished. For me, Daredevil takes it here, despite the plethora of, uh, or plethora I should say, of image titles there, I think Daredevil mm. just takes that one for me. Uh, next up, I thought it was worth looking at Best Limited Series. So you've got Barbalian Red Planet by Jeff Lemire, Tate Brombal, and Gabriel Hernandez-Walter. That's published through Dark Horse. Decorum by Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston at Image. Far Sector by N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell at DC. Strong DC representation in this one, actually. Uh, Strange Adventures by Tom Keane, Mitch Dreads, and Evan Doc Shaner. I like that they specify DC Black Label, not just DC. Mm-hmm. Superman's Pal Jim Olsen by Matt Fraction and Steve Leiber. And then We Live by Inaki Miranda and Roy Miranda at Aftershock. And despite that ridiculous strength from DC there, and there are many deserving winners, We Live takes it for me here. Yeah, I mean, this is a tight one because uh, Decorum is probably the most unique book coming out at the minute um, by, by Jonathan Hickman. Strange Adventures is really hotting up in the in the back in the back third. You know the third act; it's it's doing fantastic. Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen by Fraction and Lieber was just brilliant. It was so good, absolute but, delight. But I read We Live this week. Um, it is something else. So I think I would have to agree with you. Yeah, and more on that uh, as we go through the pod today. So best new series we have. Black Widow by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande at Marvel. Crossover by Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw at Image. Department of Truth by James Tinian and Martin Simmons at Image. Philadelphia by Rodney Barnes and Jason Sean Alexander at Image. And We Only Find Them When They're Dead by Al Yoon and Simon DeMeo. This one is through Boom Studio. So I must admit I'm, I'm a little surprised not to see Seven Secrets there. I thought that mm. would have been up there with We Only Find Them When They're Dead for a, a Boom Studio series. What takes it here? That this is a, this is between two for me. I'm sure you can guess the two. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's between three for me. Um, I think we only find them when they're dead is an unsung hero in this category. Mm-hmm. It's it's the best the best looking book among them. It, it is. I mean, it's it's hard science fiction and alluding the story is really. In the second arc, at the start of the second arc, we really started to see where maybe this is going, but it's 
but then there's also Department of Truth in Philadelphia. So if you if you were pinning me down and telling me that I had to choose one, I think it would have to be Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Well, we're in agreement for that one. I think Philadelphia just edges Department of Truth, mm. just because it's been going that little bit longer. But not there. It's it's like a hair's breadth between the yeah, two of them. Yeah, to be agreed. Honest. Agreed. Uh, so what else we got? We got best writer. Uh, so no, I mean you want to talk tough categories? Holy crap! Like any of these would be deserving winners. So best writer, you've got Ed Brubaker, Pulp, Reckless. You've got Matt Fraction, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Adventure Man, November, uh, Sex Criminals. You've got Jonathan Hickman, Decorum, X-Men, Jeff Lemire, Barbalian, Black Hammer, The Question, The Many Deaths of Vic Sage, Family Tree, Gideon Falls. You've got James Tinian IV, Something is Killing the Children, Wind, The Department of Truth, and then Chip Zdarsky, Stillwater, Daredevil, Fantastic Four, X-Men to name but a few. <sighs> that is a tough, tough, <laughs> tough group. What way are you going to jump, Alan? I think Tinian will probably take it just because he's had such a breakout year. I think Brubaker's probably won this about 20 times by now because he's just that good. Uh, Chip has won it a few times. I think Hickman's won it. I think just based on the sheer... In terms of developing hit series in the last year to year and a half, I don't think anyone comes close to Tinian in terms of you know bringing in people... Like for titles like Someone's Killing the Children, but also Department of Truth, but also Wind is very different, while simultaneously balancing the the Bat books as well. So I could make a massive case for Ed Brubaker just because Pulp and Reckless or something else, but I think Tinian will probably take this. And is that different from the question of who you would like to take it? I would like to see Brubaker take it, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're if you're basing it on the on the titles that are listed there. Rather than anything else beyond that, mm-hmm. uh, it's still a tricky. It's still a tricky contest. Um, I totally agree. Something is killing the children. When Batman, Department of Truth, uh, for Tinian in there, Brubaker because Pulp and Reckless were just two of the best books of the year so far. I mean, Pulp you can read again. Reckless you can read again and again. So, so I totally agree. But I can't overlook Jonathan Hickman either because I've really been enjoying. The creativity of decorum and also within giant size x-men and x-men i mean this guy has totally reimagined an entire family of books and given them grounding that's going to take them forward over the next i think a long time you know he's 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 taken the paradigm of the you know the school of gifted school of gifted youngsters you know the x-men and that and he's just totally he's totally shifted it he's reimagined it he's reinvigorated it uh in a way that the X-Men haven't been reinvigorated since probably, uh, you know, I would say the 70s, you know, um, more so even than more so even than Jim Lee, uh, I would I would say. So, uh, yeah, but uh, in the final analysis, for me, it would be Brie Baker. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Ed, you have two votes from this podcast. And then just one last one, just have a look at just because again I have a, a sentimental pick here definitely in this category. So it's best penciler slash inker slash penciler inker team. So you've got Michael Allred for Bowie Stardust, Ray Guns and Moonage Daydreams, Marco Cicchetto for Daredevil, Jorge Corona for Middle West, Bertrand Gatnagol for Pistuvi, Mitch Dredd slash Evan Doc Shaner, Strange Adventures, and Sanford Green for Bitter Root. 
Now, there's two things I'd like to see here. There's I wouldn't mind seeing Mitch Dreads and Evan Doc Shaner win just because I think their Twitter banter would be really fun about them having to share that. But sentimental pick for me has to be Jorge Corona for Middle West. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I think you're right. Um, yeah, and I, I, I'd be you'd be doing Marco Cicchetto a disservice not to not to mention him. But uh, yeah, Mid- Middle West was fantastic. A fantastic. Uh, choice of penciler by Scotty Young, um, you know, uh, yeah, I think brilliant, brilliant, Middle West, yeah, or hey, Corona, yeah. So th- those are just some of the the main categories. There are, of course, others. You can certainly check it out. Just have a look at it up. Uh, have a look at the Comic Con website, San Diego Comic Con website. So comic conorg and you'll get the full list, and you can have a little look through that for yourself. But yeah, it's it's just great to see a lot of the stuff that we've certainly been enjoying and championing in the last year you know, being recognized by the industry. So maybe our taste isn't too bad or maybe we do really just read everything. And I think, Alan, if whenever we post the podcast, we put up the link, it'd be really interesting to uh, to hear what everybody else thinks or has to say on, on some of the categories. I think if that we, can certainly be arranged. So do check out, the right the, check out the notes for the podcast and we'll make sure to put that link in there for you. Uh, and then just to finish off with a few different things, there were a few really cool trailers that dropped over the last couple of weeks. I'll leave probably the biggest one to last, even though it's first on our notes, because I think it'll be the one we talk about the most. But there was a, a very short trailer for Cobra Kai Season 4. This must have got you excited as a, a Karate Kid fan. Oh, yeah. It's like they've been holding out. They've been holding out. You know, we had our we had our, uh, our uh, Daniel and, and Johnny you know, face off in, in season one and then we had Crease come back in, in season two and, uh, and and all of that sort of stuff. And so they finally uh, they finally revealed uh, through through Twitter uh, that uh, and confirmed the speculation that's been around since the third season finale that uh, Terry Silver, the, the villain of Karate Kid Part 3, will be coming back for Cobra Kai season four. Uh, so there's a new teaser trailer and a new poster. Uh, Thomas Ian Griffith, who was the original Terry Silver, uh, will be, as I say, reprising that role. And uh, the the producers, uh, Josh Harold and John Hurwitz and Hayden uh, Schlossberg, said since the beginning of the series, we've been carefully orchestrating the right moment to unleash the Cobra Kai Dojo co-founder Terry Silver back into the universe. That moment is now. We can't wait for the whole world to experience Thomas Ian Griffith's majestic return to the uh, to the franchise and it was it was posted alongside a picture of him and in the original karate kid uh, three you know he's a he's a, a ponytailed guy you know because bad guys all had ponytails in the 80s um and it, obviously it's a gray ponytail now and it just says now the real pain begins so this is going to be this is going to be awesome and it's going to have everybody rushing to uh, to watch karate kid part three which i think was the most unappreciated movie of the trilogy um where where daniel uh leaves behind miyagi do and goes to train with Cobra Kai as as Mr. Miyagi won't won't support him in uh, in uh, re readmitting himself to the to the competition. So that's a good one. That's a good one. And Terry Silver's a a great bad guy. I mean, any more Cobra Kai is just fine by me either way. But yeah, it's just great how they keep rewarding longtime fans and bringing back these established favorites. They did it with Crease. They, you know, they obviously do such a great job with uh johnny and daniel as well so it's it's just nice to see them reach it into that treasure trove you know so uh yeah definitely something to look forward to there with season four 
Another trailer that hit that actually looked really cool as well is for a movie coming out soon called Old. This is actually the latest movie from M. Night Shyamalan, who can be a bit of a divisive director. I'm a, I'm a fan, personally. I mean, The Sixth Sense is, is fantastic. Unbreakable, as my brother once called it, is the best Batman movie they never made. Just a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful comic book movie. I even really enjoyed Split, uh, and I enjoyed uh, Glass as well. I, I don't think you've seen Glass yet, have you? I haven't watched Glass yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to to doing so at some point in the in the near future. Uh, I keep it's one of those ones that I keep I keep trying to get to and don't ever quite get around to it. It's the team up movie, so it's uh, it's definitely worth watching. I really mm. enjoyed it, but yeah, with this one old, it's uh, it's a new thriller about a family on a tropical holiday who discover that the beach that they're on they they think they're only relaxing for a few hours, but it's somehow causing them to age rapidly which reduces their entire lives into a single day. Just a really cool-looking trailer. I thought it was really creepy-looking, very tense, and an excuse definitely to go back to the cinema again soon. But the problem with going back to the cinema soon is that they keep releasing really cool stuff to keep you in the house, just like the latest trailer for Netflix's new Masters of the Universe revelation <laughs> the war for eternia begins again and what may be the final battle between he-man and skeletor holy crap what a trailer this was oh it was it was brilliant i had been uh, i had been out for dinner uh the night that it dropped and wasn't really looking at our chat and uh, it was the first thing i saw in the morning whenever I, whenever i woke up and excitedly immediately posted a link in the chat only to be told we've already talked this through <laughs> but <laughs> i mean for me this is just this is just the old. I grew up on on He Man, you know, and, and the Masters of the Universe, and you know, was one of the first, I guess, superhero style characters. Though you would never consider him a superhero um, at the time, I guess. But it was just the trailer looks so, so good. It's a, a continuation of the original animated series, and and a much more, I guess, fleshed out, mature reimagining, uh, and you know, all of the the characters that you recognize there and i mean i couldn't you know the the the, the it's, it's it's under kevin smith's direction uh there's some great amazing voices uh chris wood voices uh adam uh and uh, and i guess he-man mark hamill skeletor sarah michelle geller's in there alicia silverstone uh lena hetty kevin conroy and i think jason muse muse is in there voicing stinkor but uh Oh, the, and and if, if 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 for nothing else, the inclusion of Bonnie Tyler's uh, holding out for a hero just absolutely leveled it up. It was so so good. Um, I had to. I was sitting there, we just watching it, and almost almost you know just waiting for. I have the power. <laughs> so so good. Yeah, great looking animation style as well. That. Doesn't move it too far away from the classic era, but it also modernizes it as well. Certainly, in some of the fight sequences that were teased there, I particularly enjoyed the the little detail that if you look really closely, where Skeletor is doing this huge punch, and it kind of looks like he's opening up a portal to just bring through a huge hand to punch He-Man. But if you look closely, you can see he's actually putting his own hand through a small portal, so it's actually a bigger version of his own hand. <laughs> There's all these cool little details too, which yeah, are just yeah. really really fun, but. Yeah, this is, uh, when are we actually looking for this coming out? It's due later this year. It's, of course, going to have the, there is going to be a tie-in comic book to this as well, Masters of the Universe Revelation, so definitely keep an eye out for that as well. But uh, in terms, yeah, of release dates, when are we looking here? Uh, we're looking at July, so next month. 
Uh, I think we're about six weeks out. 23rd of July. Just when we were all looking forward to going out into the nice weather, we're all staying in and watching He-Man and pretending we're 10 again. <laughs> I mean, that said, I'm really looking forward to getting to the cinema to see The Quiet Place 2 and Nobody. Uh, hopefully get a, get a look. I haven't been in the cinema in a long time, uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to getting out. And... Yeah, definitely a cinema a trip is very much needed at this point. I think Quiet Place 2 would probably be the first thing we go to see as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, Absolutely. in preparation for Black Widow 2, which is not too... Or Black Widow 2. We haven't even seen a first Black Widow. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself here. Anyway, yeah, that'll sort of do it for a little bit of a chat about you know comics, TVs, movies, all the rest. We're here to chat some comics, and we are going to be reviewing, as I say, titles that came out on the 26th of May. So again, plenty of spoilers within. So... As we'd stated in the intro, I mean, sometimes our pull list can get a little bit out of control, and this was definitely one of those weeks, despite oh, yes. the fact that only two Marvel titles. How'd that happen? Anyway, uh, 31 titles in total for me this week, so I had 13 DC, uh, two Marvel, of course, Indie won the day, 15 Indie, and then I had an Indie hardcover book, which was uh, Death or Glory by Rick Remender and Bengal in a out in a luxurious large hardcover edition. What about yourself? What were your totals this week? I was just one behind you. I had 30 titles uh, on the uh, on the release week of 26th of May. Uh, really nice balance across uh, across the whole lot. I had nine DC, uh, ten Marvel, and ten indie. Uh, plus, I had one indie trade paperback, which was uh, We Live by the Anaki Brothers, which we'll talk about uh, a wee bit down the line. So uh, we were fairly neck and neck there, but. Yeah, nine DC. You only had you only had two Marvel there, Alan. I had nine DC. I feel like I don't know. <laughs> My letting aside that. <laughs> I think the thing is with Marvel at the moment. Before we jump into this, just a, a quick aside. But I think the thing with Marvel for me is at the moment, I, I I enjoyed the first issue of Heroes Reborn, but I wasn't massively captivated by it, so I didn't jump on Heroes Reborn. I'm not going to be reading Hellfire Gala because I'm going to wait for a nice big omnibus of that, the same way I did with X of Swords. So there's sort of two of Marvel's events that there's a lot of focus on that I'm not reading. So I think that's what it falls down to. But I assure you, there's there's plenty of Marvel on the horizon for me. Don't don't worry too much about that. This was just a, this was an outlier of a week, shall we say. But it's just yeah. such a shame that your one trade paperback wasn't a DC trade paperback. And then that would have been a perfect balance of 10, 10, 10. Oh, would have been, but then I'd wish that I'd missed We Live, and nobody wants that. Well, that is very true. So, yeah, uh, a pretty stellar week. I mean, we're a very heavy emphasis, of course, on bat titles, which we'll get into because that's pretty much most weeks for DC. They definitely know where their money is made. A uh, couple of good Marvel ones to have a chat about, and then, as usual, plenty of indie. So, we'll kick things off with DC anyway, and of course, with a title that. Let's be honest, it would be our pick of the week every single time it came out, but we're trying to you know, show a little bit of decorum here, a little bit of diversity and not just pick it every time. But we're, of course, talking about Nightwing number 80. So this is from Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. And any week that contains a new issue is just a week to look forward to. I mean, you, you made a big statement regarding this. You know, I, I know you were a huge fan of, of uh, a certain magician, a certain wizard in the DC yep. universe, but yep. this is the I equal will. of it. I will stand by it. it. Well, I mean, the, the statement that I made was that this is this is Tom Taylor at his best, and I think this is DC's best book since Cy Spurrier stopped, well, was was unceremoniously dumped off Hellblazer, uh, John Constantine Hellblazer, which was, as you know, if you listen to the to the pod, just I, I never stopped ranting about it because those twelve issues were brilliant, perfect. But uh, I mean, I think it's the I think it's the match, Alan, and I, and I don't know. 
why we didn't see it earlier that uh, that Tom Taylor's absolute, you know, his his big hearted writing would be a perfect fit, perfect match for DC's biggest hearted hero. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, we're we're three parts into this series now, so it kicked off with Tom Taylor nineteen and issue seventy eight, and this is a storyline called Leaping into the Light. You know it. It has Dick Grayson being investigated in this issue for the death of a homeless man that he had booked a room for uh, in the previous issue in a moment of charity. You know, what started out as a noble gesture and, you know, Dick has been trying to figure out a way to help people. He's inherited Alfred's fortune after his untimely death, unfortunately. So he's looking at ways to better the world around him with with that money. And, of course, it takes a dark turn because the man's found murdered. And as the police turn up to chat to Dick Grayson about it, Dick's like, what about his son? And they go, oh that we didn't know about his son it's strange uh-huh. that you do so of course this leads to a little bit of suspicion towards him and uh leads to some absolutely brilliant scenes from from here on in <laughs> yeah i mean it was uh you know that 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 investigation as you say these two detectives to to dick grayson's door just as babs is leaving so you know he needs an alibi so uh, he, he phones he phones barbara uh formerly bat girl now oracle full-time uh, to, to swing around and come back and while they're being interrogated they are asked about the nature of their relationship and I think it's one of the best pages in comics so far this year it's just it's it's just comedy genius you know over the last I think over the last few weeks um, Dick Grayson between Teen Titans Academy and his uh, uh, yeah, I guess relationship, not quite relationship with Starfire uh, over there and the mention about about Babs and, and so forth uh, and then the relationship clearly over here um, has been a, a point of contention but this is really, I just thought that the dialogue here was just fantastic uh, <laughs> you know about, the, they're asked about the nature of their relationship and they just look at each other and just sort of whew, okay you know, and Dick says, I've been wondering that myself, but interrogation is not how I wanted to broach the subject. Babs is, that's not relevant. The detective, I think we'll decide what's relevant. She goes, really? Because I have a law degree. And Dick's like, oh, yeah, so do I. I have that as well. <laughs> you know, so the whole, that whole exchange is just, it's brilliant. Very much typifies that relationship. And I absolutely laughed my ass off at it. Uh, I thought it was very cool, very cute uh, as well. I mean, it's just it's a, it's a great book in terms of the relationship between the writer and artist because you know, obviously they've worked together many times before. You know, Tom Taylor he's able to balance the light with the dark with a plum. You know, there's an interesting plot here, amazing character interactions, just as what we're chatting about there. And I definitely think if he has a follow up book, it should be a Nightwing slash Batgirl slash Oracle team up book. And he's got his usual blend of heart and humor here as well. I mean, there's a there's a part just a few pages later after that interrogation where he meets Tim Drake on the rooftops. And uh, Tim basically gives him a, a wallet chain. It means kids can steal your money. And as an added bonus, you confront the soft metal band in the early 2000s. I'm never living <laughs> this down, am I? This, of course, linking back to Dick having his wallet stolen and it being shared in the uh, the bat chat, if you will, on yes, uh, uh, Facebook Messenger. But the writing's great, but also Redondo's just perfect artist for this. You know, He's able to convey emotions and characters' thoughts with simple facial expressions and he's he's actually also able to get his own humor into the book with little details i mean check out the the cups in the interrogation scene for example and one of them is <laughs> the adam west batman running down the street you know some days you just can't get rid of a bomb 
And then the next page, you've got these sort of top-down layouts as, as Babs and Dick walk around the apartment, formulating the plan and so forth. And then there's great action as well throughout. I mean, in case you hadn't guessed, we, we quite like this book. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I, I also, I mean, you, you won't love it as much as I did, but I also love the, the team-up with Tim Drake, uh, who seems to be back full-time as Robin. Uh, he's not Red Robin, he's not Drake uh, anymore. And since Damien Wayne is... Uh, is off in his own book. It seems very much like he's, I don't know if he's Robin or Red Robin or what he is, but I mean, these two guys, these two guys are a great match. You know, I think they're the, they're the closest of the, of the two Robins, you know, or the two former Robins. Uh, they're, they're, they're as much like brothers, more like brothers than any of the rest of them, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they work really well together, Nightwing and, and Tim Drake as, as the, I guess the smartest and most analytical of the of the Robins is a really great um, a counterpoint to to Dick's to Dick's impulsive heart, uh, you know. So it's the it's the head and the heart right there. But I love the scene where they're fighting uh, back to gag against the against the two villains, and uh, Robin doesn't have his uh, doesn't have his quarterstaff, uh, and he, he he needs it because this I guess this villain is electrified and. So we see the detail of, of, of Dick pulling the rattan sticks off his back and then linking them together, twisting them and, uh, and extending them. Uh, and they become a full quarterstaff, which he tosses to Robin. I think that, that, was, that was great. Uh, and then the, you know, the detail, the, the, I guess there are five panels across one page of the two of them taking on and teaming up and, and using team tactics against the, the two villains. And... You know that I, I just love that that teamwork, and I also love I, think, I don't know if we mentioned it, but the fact that that Nightwing's uh, I guess swing line now looks very much like a like a high wire um, trapeze mm-hmm. handhold, uh, which it didn't before. So the you know the swing line pops out of the of the the, the middle of the 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 rattan stick rather than at the end like it like daredevils does yeah so it looks very much like the the trapeze artist that he used to be in the circus well it's an interesting one as you say with those two obviously getting on so well and being quite alike i mean they were the two robins who naturally outgrew the robin role and went out on their own obviously dick Mm. grayson went out to become nightwing uh tim drake was out to become red robin whereas obviously jason todd was taken from bruce and then, of course, there's there's Damien, who we'll, we'll certainly get to in a little bit as well. But, yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant book. I mean, you know, we, we can't keep saying it enough, but <laughs> it is, th- this book is so good, it's got Vicky reading DC. That's all I'll say. Uh, That's all I'll brilliant. say. So, brilliant. yeah, Nightwing number 80. If you haven't got on it, 78 and 79 have both went back to second prints, in some cases with superb covers as well. So definitely get on it. I mean, if you're interested in it, just pop in the store and let us know, and we will get you sorted. So... But speaking of stunning-looking books as well, uh, there was a new issue this week of Detective Comics 1036. So this is from the team of uh, Mariko Tamaki on writing and Dan Mora on art. And for me, Dan Mora just simply gets Batman. You know, between the Detective Comics homage on page one is there's a a newspaper article in the Gotham Gazette and it does Masked Avenger have connection to Worth Murder and it's uh, a recreation of Detective Comics 27 as their main um as their main image on there you know he also ushers in this consistently uneasy feeling you get from the dangerous streets of gotham you know it seems like there's danger around every corner in this gotham that he draws there's larger than life villains and everything just feels and looks right and 
He even pulls off, I don't know if you've seen it in about eight or nine pages, and he pulls off a great silhouette of Batman without his mask. And it's actually instantly iconic, I think. You know, it's obviously Bruce standing on the rooftops looking out, and you can just yeah. see the hairline. And it's actually yeah. perfectly mirrored on the other page with him in full view as well. But, oh my God, I mean, the, the writing yeah. in this book is great. You know, there's a lot of great mystery beats in here as well. But, oh my God, the art in this just... just elevates it every single every single issue i think yeah oh it's it's just it's a beautiful looking i mean dan mora who we are a favorite of from once in future uh he's just he's killing this book it, it looks so good and it, it yeah i think it just really the art really really matches uh to maggie's to maggie's writing it's uh yeah as just it's it's gorgeous it's it's absolutely gorgeous <laughs> and it's a story that's building in a whole load of directions you know there's penguin features here you know as the i guess as the the, the criminal villain we've got mr worth who is a businessman but appears to have a lot of kingpin like criminal interests uh shall we say lady clayface is in here who is a character that i know very little about and uh and, and huntress features off the back of the backstory that recently featured and she's sort of investigating the story from that backstory, the death of Mary Knox. So we've got this, uh, I guess this possible is like an infection mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be like parasitic and you can see it in these gross things in people's eyes. Um, so it really, I mean, to me, this is maybe apart from Justice League Dark, this is the best use of that backstory format, you know, because they've, they've told the story separately from the main story and then immediately pulled it in to to the main story yeah definitely agree with that i mean the backup story it, it stands on its own two feet and feels individual but as you say it ties into the main storyline as well as that you know i think one of its main strengths is that it feels very different to the main tinian batman title it the main tinian batman title maybe feels more blockbustery and maybe a bit more action oriented whereas this is as the title suggests detective based which is exactly what it should be you know yeah and i mean the the change in Bruce's circumstances, you know, uh, following Joker War, where he's now, you know, short a pound or two, and he's had to move into what do they call it, Fort Fort Gray? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's still a still a, a neighborhood that I couldn't afford to buy a house in now. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, he's so he's got these. He's suddenly got neighbors, and you know, he's he's got these. He doesn't have his bat cave. He has all these micro caves built into the sewers. You know, so it's it's a much more it's a much more uh, nearly like. It's almost friendly neighborhood Batman, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a much more personal look at Batman and looking at Bruce's life, how it is now. It more in a way that maybe Tinian isn't doing so much. Mm -hmm. Well, he's fo he's focusing on those those larger questions, you know, so brilliant. You know, there's there's a I didn't think I would be the one saying this, but there's enough Batman titles on the shelves. We don't need friendly neighborhood Batman as well. You know, <laughs> we're looking at you, Tom Taylor. You'll be getting an idea for that. But yeah, sticking with Gotham as well. So this week saw the release of number two of Robin. So anything involving Damien immediately has my attention. You know, in my opinion, of course, and only my humble opinion, he is the best Robin after all. And this series from Joshua Williamson and Gleb Melnikov has been a blast so far. I mean, what what do you pitch this one as? Uh, this is Under the Dragon meets the Bat Family. Exactly. Uh, to what, me, this is... What more yeah. do you need to know? Uh -huh. And uh, where... where... Damien plays a slightly naughtier version of Bruce Lee's character, I guess, <laughs> um, or maybe maybe one of the more villainous characters on the island. But 
Uh, I think as we 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 both realised, you know, this is it's hard to believe this is only two issues in because they've established a whole lot and a whole lot of characters, or at least they're starting to. Damien's already died once, um, and we're we're discovering, you know, something more of the rules of the competition and why Lazarus Island is so aptly named. Yeah, very much so, and you know, you can see relationships building in the first couple issues, you know. Damien seems to have an ally in Ravager as well who's looking out for him and, and also acts as our introduction, you know, almost as our narrator for it a lot of the time, as you say, explaining the rules, you know, the sort of three strikes in your out policy, that kind of thing. You know, I I find it really funny that the prize for winning this tournament is immortality because, to be honest, in a way, that's actually Damien's birthright, you know, as the daughter of Talia Al Ghul and the grandson of Rej Al Ghul. I mean, he, he could have immortality anytime he wants, just go back to, to his yeah. original family. You know? But then, you know, he wouldn't have earned that. He would be given it. And I don't know if that's what Damien's about. He's been about earning earning the title of Batman, Yeah. you know, from his, from his father. So he maybe feels like he has to earn this as well. So rather than just be given it by virtue of his, of his birth. I mean, I'm, I'm not a Damien fan, as you know, but I'm really enjoying this book. Uh, it's Joshua Williamson, Joshua Williamson of... Uh, his huge long flash run theme which was just brilliant uh i know he's uh isn't it sweet tooth mm-hmm. isn't that isn't that the one you're oh, always sweet, sweet tooth jeff lemire oh it's jeff lemire what's the other one baby baby teeth what, oh, i can't remember baby teeth is uh tony kitts and what's the joshua William book what i'm thinking about <laughs> nail biter nail biter that's that's the one one of those three that i haven't read I uh so but uh but Joshua Williamson is currently he's the he's the guiding hand on the DC universe right now, uh, you know, with the the, the establishment of uh, the the Infinite Universe and all of that. But uh, at the same time, I don't think you need I don't think you need any of that to enjoy this. Nothing at all. Uh, I mean, I they, they just, give you everything yeah. you need in the first issue, you know, in terms of his relationship to Batman, the fact that he's, you know, feeling a little bit like he has to get away from him, that kind of thing. I mean. Bottom line, this is just great art, fun storytelling. You know, it's it's great to see that not even death has changed Damien or slowed him down. He's still the same impulsive little, you know, arrogant little fighter that we we, we know and love. But hopefully, you're coming around to Damien. I I, I love a good Damien story. So yeah, you know, and there's definitely a there's a there's a sniff of, of Highlander in here. You know, yeah. If you if you want a a piece of entertainment that is about winning a prize and the prize is immortality. Or mortality, as the case may be, then uh, then that's what you're after. You still have to watch that. So, dear listener, if you had Keith mentions Highland Highlander on your Coffee and Heroes podcast bingo card, you can mark that off now. <laughs> also, on that bingo card will be Alan mentioning Tom Keen. So, the next title from DC this week, uh, Strange Adventures number ten, and it's a strange one. This because I think it's actually hard to talk about Strange Adventures this far in without spoiling a lot of details for new readers you know we're, we're definitely entering the end game loyalties are being tested more and more details are being revealed i think i just i think we keep mentioning it because this is going to be a fantastic trade read i mean tom keen is very much a long form comic writer we, we see it in rorschach as well you know rorschach started a little slowly not sure where it was going and then it's just got better by the issue and i think this is the same you know, the, the art from Mitch Dreads and Evan Doc Shaner continues to be stellar as well. I mean I mean what do you think? Do you think it's do you think it's better almost to read Tom Keane's stuff in trades as opposed to single issues? I'm starting to feel that way. I think, you know, Mr Mr. Miracle, uh, Vision certainly have worked better as, as trades for me. Um that said I you know, I, that's the only way I read them, so I can't compare, but 
Strange Adventures is definitely we're we're in we're in the end game now, as Doctor Strange said uh, famously. Um, and and it is a long he's a long he's a long game player, really really heating up. Last act, Mister Terrific is hot in the trail of the truth, whatever that truth may be, and however horrible it may be. And I think that's part of this is the truth is different thing to different people, which. You know, really, I think I've, I've been looking, I've been wondering how this was going to link into, because Tom King always sort of has something to say, mm-hmm. you know, and how it was going to link into the world in which we live and the, the post-truth society in which we live and how it was going to link to the idea of colonialism, which is something that he talked about at the at the very, very start and the, the great white hero uh, and, and all of that. And it's, it's really starting to become apparent. I was disappointed at the start, but... No, I can't wait for this to finish so I can go back and read it again because I think this is going to be equally up there with Mr. Miracle and, and, and Vision. Sheriff of Babylon, fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's and as you mentioned, it's it's a great sister book for for Rorschach, which is equally weighty and equally convoluted and equally satisfying now we're coming close <laughs> to the end, you know. It's just it's it's it is absolutely like I don't know, he, he I don't know. I don't know what the metaphor is, you know, but it's it, uh, it's like you, you're, you at the start you see the foundations and you think, geez, that's just a big dirty hole. And it's not until he builds the house that you really start to, to see the good of it, you know. Um, and then you appreciate the foundations because it's going to stand for longer. Oh, yep. I did it! I did it! <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. It's just obviously a, as a comic store as well, and you know we certainly recommend books to people all the time. And you know Tom King hasn't really let me down yet, but it. But sometimes it does feel a little cheap almost on my part to say, look, just stick with it. It gets better. So, you know, like, like when people say, watch this TV show. First couple of episodes are a little rocky, but then it hits its, you know, it hits its stride. And I think people are just so interested now in instant gratification. And they've so yeah. much, yeah. they've so much choice now that if something doesn't grab them immediately, they move on to something else. But between Strange Adventures and, and as you say, Rorschach, I think... Keen is just a master storyteller, but it, yeah, he just it, it seems that he needs that longer format almost, I suppose. But but yeah, if you're coming to this late, you know, pick up the trade as soon as it's released. Obviously, there's only two issues left in terms of single issues. You know, you'll you know pick it up and trade. You'll definitely not be disappointed. And you know, I just wanted to finish off by saying, what other title from the big two has one of the main characters sitting on the toilet reading social media reactions? <laughs> I'll tell you what title does. Strange Adventures. Uh, yeah, and I'd go further and say, you know, they'll, they'll both be finishing and thinking the same month. Rorschach and uh, and uh, Strange Adventures. So pick up both trades. Yeah, uh, they're both fantastic. And I, it's funny because whenever we, whenever these both of these first came out, first issues come out, we were both, oh, why, why, why are neither of these picks picks of the week? Mm-hmm. Why are we not? You know, and we should know. We should know that. That's not the way Tom King does things. Just just trust and it'll all come out in the wash. That uh, very much will. So, yeah, so that's pretty much it for in, it in terms of our DC honorable mentions for this week. So we'll jump on to a little bit of Marvel now. Uh, we'll kick things off with Better A Bill number three. This is number three of five. An argument to be made for cover of the week. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I think there's so much going on in, in the art in this book, and that in, includes the cover. Uh, it's just fantastic, the the idea of Peter Ray Bill sitting there trying to superglue together Stormbreaker that was uh, that was shattered by Thor, and, and, and the shattering of that hammer 
took away Beta Ray Bill's ability to turn back into his normal humanoid form, uh, which, of course, is the at the heart of this story. Yeah, just an excellent metaphor for what it's about, but also just a, a ridiculously charming image. You know, this, multiple tubes of super glue there, duct tape. You have extension cords being pulled out, drills, and of <laughs> course a cup of coffee because this is going to be a long term job. But, but yeah, this book just continues to be an absolute ton of fun. You know, for me, I was saying about how maybe I'm not reading as much Marvel at the moment, but this is definitely one of Marvel's best titles and. And I think part of that might be the amount of freedom they've awarded Daniel Warren Johnson. You know, I felt this as well with Wonder Woman Dead Earth. It was very, very different to everything else DC were doing, and it stood out for that reason. And I think his storytelling style and his art are very different from maybe the more traditional Marvel house style, if, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I mean, what other book would have a two-page sequence revolved around ping pong? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that was... I think that was great. I think that that scene was great. I think there's more going on here than 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 we than we maybe know. I mean, I think this is could maybe be described as Marvel's most metal book at the minute, uh, which makes it a worthy successor for the previously most metal book at Marvel, which was Jason Aaron's Thor. Uh, and you know, there, there's obviously this has come out of, of Donny Cates' Thor, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. And that that that's the idea. The idea is that. You know, I guess in the first issue, uh, Bill ended up sort of wooed by by Lady Sif, but the expectation whenever she got him back to her room was that he was going to change into his more visually appealing uh, humanoid form, and he couldn't, and he was rejected, and that sent him off in search of a new weapon that could transform him back. Along the way, he's running to Odin, he's running to uh, to the Executioner and Pip the Troll, and and so forth. Um, so it is. It's, uh, they've travelled across the world, and whenever I say metal, this is a book that inclu- includes a new axe that has a mini thruster in the back, so it can hit harder, and a spaceship that's transformed into a destroyer to sail on and below the fiery lava seas of Muspelheim. So <laughs> there's that's. I mean, if that's not metal, I don't know what <laughs> is. But I think there's a there's also a heart. There's a real real heart at the centre of this book. You know. Aside from the executioner's machine guns and so forth, you know, and all that, you know, crazy fire elf killing and so forth, um, where Scuttlebutt, which is Bill's trusty ship, his constant companion, as a result of traveling through the gate to to Muspelheim, has been personified in a female form that I think may just be in love with Bill, and uh, and I don't think he even has thought that well this is scuttlebutt this is my constant companion uh and she's now humanoid or you know at least android and doesn't care what i look like mm-hmm. you know so there's a there's a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a fairy story in here as well i think what do you reckon yeah i mean there's there's some sort of lovely scenes between the two of them you know there's there's a great scene where you know scuttlebutt's asking i never asked why we came here you know what happened on asgard and Bill says, oh, I became aware of myself, my real self, kind of like you, I suppose. And then there's like this little moment of silence. And then Skullbutt says, why does that sound like a bad thing? There's, and again, a lot of that expressiveness is to do with the art. You know, it's 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 portraying an awful lot in this book as well as, as the dialogue as well. And there seems to be a lot of yearning certainly on Skullbutt's part. But, you know, that's interspersed, as you say, with just some of the most metal action sequences you will see. You know, there's there's... 
depictions of violence here that have characters literally crying, saying, so beautiful, you know. Uh, <laughs> Psychopathic know, characters, but yeah. <laughs> you know, Warren Johnson's style I love. I love that he embraces the full comic format. You know, his sound effects are so over the top and loud and launch and whoosh. And, you know, it's it's just a really sort of old-fashioned style of comic book storytelling, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do wonder, is there a deeper story here about you know, people becoming, working to become happy with who they are rather than changing themselves Yeah. cosmetically and still not being happy with who they are. You know, I don't know. There's, yeah, it's a, there's, there's something in there. But yeah, this is, it seems like a real, seems like a real, as I say, metal book. But if you start to look a wee bit deeper at it, if you scratch the surface a wee bit, I think yeah. there's, there's, there's something a wee bit more going on here. Yeah, great book. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you got me onto it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I have to recommend one Marvel title to you for the 20 you recommend well to me. So <laughs> has to be done sometimes. But yeah, just a big, epic, ambitious book. Lots of heart to it as well. A lot of big ideas. Uh, and the world building's fantastic. Really highly recommend it. As I say, it's going to be five issues in total. But the the single issues are still, you know, easily attainable enough. So again, if it appeals to you, let us know. Uh, the other book that we thought was a, a good honourable mention, a nice uh, little discussion to have from Marvel, is also a number number three. But this is Alien number three. So the first couple of Alien books, I think we are in agreement. They have pretty much delivered. You know, we were slightly wary going in. We didn't fully know what to expect, but... You know, for me, along with Conan, this is probably the most adult book that Marvel's currently putting out. And by issue three, the setup is done, characters are all introduced, it's time to cut loose on the story, and boy, this issue definitely delivers. So it does. Uh, there's twists and turns, there's double crossing, there's a ridiculously brilliant, like I would have loved to have, you know, I, I imagine Philip Kenny Johnson laughing to himself as he's writing this uh, this scene but there's this brilliant tense scene where they essentially use a, a chest bursting alien as a countdown mechanism to get someone to hurry up talking which is just unbelievably great <laughs> some uh, gruesome action you know there's some really good emotional moments in it as well there's a wee small moment early on when the alien attacks and one of the space marines is about to be gobbled up and he sort of goes D don't man I, I i'm not ready it's like i'm not ready to die you know mm. in that moment uh brilliant cliffhanger ending as well with with this issue that really has me excited for issue four which i believe is out this week um Excellent. you're digging this as well aren't you oh i'm absolutely loving it i feel like they teased this for the first two issues and they just dropped the bomb in this one uh it's it's xenomorphs front and center like it it's it's almost like yeah uh, you know what they've gone from alien to aliens mm-hmm you know, Alien was a wee that's, bit more. That's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. It's, Slow uh, building and tense, and now we're getting yeah. the, the action. Or yes, yeah. absolutely. Xenomorphs, chestbursters, paranoia, and uh, and I think they, they're starting to add things that maybe we we haven't seen in the Alien universe before. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these uh, these creatures that have these marks across their face, and this guy who has the marks across his face, and what that means to our, our main character who is an entirely new character in the alien universe and the the close-up you see of the alien is mad because you kind of really get to see the, the techno techno organic nature of it mm -hmm. you know these very much aren't natural creatures by any stretch of the imagination they're almost they're almost bio biomechanical you know they're and yeah just 
so often whenever you see aliens, they're they're moving about and they're skidding about, or you're you're seeing them in your face, but just seeing it, you're like, oh god, right, okay. But yeah, this is this is a great book. It Salvador Larocca's art is brilliant, and Philip Kennedy Johnson, who I fell in love with on The Last God, is is the perfect choice. Really interesting to see the one in the dark. That's what this is starting to be revealed. Who the who this possible hybrid is? I don't know, but there's. This can go all sorts of ways, and I don't doubt I don't doubt that it will. So, uh, yeah, great great use of the license, I think. Uh, very very good. And as you say, that little uh, that little uh, cliffhanger linking back to the movies there uh, at the end um, was very very good. So, most enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, if you're an alien fan of any of any note at all, this is definitely worth jumping onto. I know that Dark Horse did a lot of great alien stuff as well. I personally haven't been privy to a lot of it, but. This just ties brilliantly into those those first two movies. And I think that is actually a really good comparison. The first two issues so far were a bit bit slower, a little bit more considered, maybe all about building tension a la Alien. But yeah, we've definitely kicked into Aliens and Space Marines and action and gore and all the rest yeah, of Aliens. Yeah, and I mean, there, there was the concern that Marvel, you know, having the license would maybe Disneyfy it a wee bit, but... Certainly, that's not the case in the comics at all, and they're they're adding something really nice to the to the canon, and because uh, they now have the canon, you know. So, uh, yes, it's very very good, very yeah. good. Wholeheartedly agree. So that was Alien number three. So that'll do it in terms of Marvel honorable mentions. We'll jump on a little bit of indie love first of all. Uh, you'd mentioned a little earlier that you'd picked up a graphic novel this week. I was really happy to see you jump onto this. You know. Uh, one of the most surprising but brilliant closes to a first arc story I've read in years. So what are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about We Live Volume 1, which covers the first five issues of uh, the, seer, the the Aftershock series uh, by the Miranda Brothers. Uh, never, never, I don't think I've ever read anything by them before, but it is a beautiful book. It was, it's absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Uh the writers were Anaki Miranda and Roy Miranda, and Anaki Miranda was the, the artist, and Eva Dela Cruz uh, deserves a shout out as a colorist on it as well, because totally, totally pops. Totally original, um, completely heartrending, and geez, a, an ending to the first arc that was totally out of the blue. Totally out of the blue. It's, it's set in the year 2084, and the world has been racked with these calamities and there's monsters all over the place. And the last remaining humans, I guess, are, are, are having a bit of a rough time of it. And Earth has sent a message, apparently from, from space, apparently from alien overseers. Uh, and a, a countdown starts to the extinction of all humanity. But the hope comes in the message that 5,000 children will be rescued by these people who these aliens who sent the message to live a new life in the stars so our protagonists here are hototo one of the lucky five thousand uh and his teenage sister tala and she has to deliver him to the nearest beacon uh, before time runs out it's oh it's i wasn't expecting it. it's so so colorful and, and beautiful so i wasn't expecting the violence when it happened uh totally different take on an apocalypse and uh you know there's there's hope and then Somehow, corporate bastards managed to screw it up, <laughs> and it just uh, it uh, it's so good. It's great characters and uh, great sort of villains that are a wee bit 
sort of a wee bit Noctera movie, uh, and and a wee bit um, Last of Us mm-hmm. uh, as well. So yeah, just just brilliant. Just this is five issues. Just pick it up, pick up the trade paperback. It's not it's not badly priced either. Um, and I think, geez, I think we're going to be seeing more from this particular world. In fact, if you if you read the back matter in this. Uh, in this trade, uh, you you find that that hopefully will be the case. And the other awesome thing about this book was the QR codes throughout it for the music uh, to listen oh, to. For the, yeah, the yeah. music, the the album or the EP that was specifically composed, and uh, what they did with the the panel. So I took the time to scan every one of those at the time, and and watch the the you know the I guess the YouTube video and listen to the song, uh, and it just really expanded my you know that augmented reality or, or multimedia experience of the book so yeah very very good very good indeed yeah it reminded me a little bit maybe maybe more in sort of format i suppose than any sort of storytelling but reminded me a little bit of firepower that prelude graphic novel because mm-hmm. you basically get this this wonderfully told story but it then ends in a way that sets up something completely different and i just remember being blown away by the fifth issue of this when it hit because I've been enjoying it until then. It was charming characters the whole way through as well. Really beautiful art, really good world building. And then it just goes off in a completely different way that was wholly original. But at the same time, it it was jarring to a degree, but it also felt earned, if that makes sense. So, yeah, big, big fan of this. As, as Keith says, trades are available now, uh, volume one, and I think we'll definitely be seeing more of it. Uh, another title that certainly stood out this week, uh, another one that always goes high up your list, is Chariot Number 3. So this is from AWA Studios, written by Brian Edward Hill, art by Priscilla Petrades. Uh For me, this is the equivalent of a popcorn movie. It is very fast-paced, gorgeous looking, some great world building, and very, very cool. Uh, another home run of a title for AWA. You usually have more to say about this than me. Yeah, I mean, if you're if it's a popcorn title, for me, it's it's popcorn with chili sprinkled on it uh you know which <laughs> is which is a it's a good way to try popcorn give it a oh. give it a word give it a word um it's uh it, it works well no this is this is the middle issue of brian edward hill's amazing five issue 80s throwback synth wave thriller uh about a car that has an, an onboard ai that that ai is uh the ghost the digital ghost of of a spy from the from the 80s and uh she has teamed up with uh, with Jim, who's a, a, a down and out dad, a guy who can't make the right decisions, uh, but who tries to do his best for for his kid, uh, and also for his 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 ex partner, who features very very heavily in this. Um, and she she's a fantastic character too. But this is the middle issue, and it, it's kind of the turnaround a wee bit, you know. He in a couple of ways, you know, as Jim Jim makes a shift as the as the the the, the car. She effectively gives him a minute, and then she's going to download everything that she knows as a super spy uh, into his head. But we have a, we have some moments where we're starting to see her ruthlessness. Uh, we're starting to see how ruthless she is, and 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 uh, exactly what it is she wants to do. We're also seeing the the antagonist here is her sister, who you know has been has been waiting for her to return for forty years because she wants. The technology, the AA technology that has has kept uh, the, the the spy alive. Again, I just cannot cannot quite uh, get her name, but uh, yeah. So it's, it's a sniff of Knight Rider and, and 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 that sort of stuff in there. And 
just uh, her sister, who is her arch enemy, we see a little bit of we see a little bit of that backstory, and uh, the sister has a hold of uh, of of Jim's son and is is using him as as leverage here. So we're getting towards the end game here as well, and I just think Alan that there's so much world and story being built here that this could support way more than five issues. Um, this is this is easily again among my top sort of three issues of the week uh, every week it's released it's so good and it looks so good yeah we like to think that, that uh, as with other awa titles if these titles do well there's always a volume one then a volume two then so on and so forth and obviously the world building here is great you get the main character built up into a spy himself and there's no reason not to continue with his further mm. adventures so to speak so yeah just it's a lot of fun as i say it's 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 very entertaining effortlessly cool and and again that'll be hitting trade very soon but as keith says they, they, they've conveyed an awful lot in a short space of time but at the same time there's only two issues to go so yeah chariot number three of five from awa studios next up we have our monthly check-in with the department of truth so james tinian and martin simmons love letter to the x-files as i like to think of it of this was an exceptionally wordy issue. Uh, there is a lot to digest here, to say the <laughs> least. I think it may benefit from a second read, which is not always the easiest thing when your pull list is as big as ours. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is it is a big issue. It pops between 1987, and, and the main character here is Hawk Harrison, uh, who we're starting to see how the department of truth works through his his devious mind he's the fixer you know he makes things he makes things happen he manipulates uh situations and perceptions in order to make sure that people believe the things that they need to believe and enough of them do so that reality doesn't change uh you know with that without belief so we're starting to understand not just how the department of truth works but why it works uh, and what it's for, um, and yeah, I, I I love this. I absolutely loved it. I loved uh, I loved Hawk Harrison's. We've got Cole, who's the, the the character who we've been introduced to from the start, the new agent of the the Department of Truth and his concerns, and we've got the the very you know the narrator there for us. He's the you know Cole's the P, the point of view character, whereas Hawk is the abrasive narrator. And I don't know, you, you, you kind of get the impression that he likes Cole, that he's maybe grooming him for something. But he also plays a large part in Cole's history, which is being revealed now through the what happened with the star-faced man. Yeah, I mean, it's it, they've an interesting dynamic the whole way through this issue because there's there's clearly respect there. And then even at the end, you know, he almost anoints Cole as the you know, you're the one that'll succeed where, you know, I feel it's almost like he's a successor in a way, but he's, he's also exceptionally mean to him the whole way through. He makes lots of jabs to him about, you know, his, uh, his sexual orientation, for example, his sexual preference, mm -hmm. you know, he even calls him at one point the most boring queen alive. But I think, I think that's just maybe a way of showing how, how quickly different generations have grown apart. You know, Hawks maybe what, 20 years older maybe 30 years older than cole mm, yeah. but but based on how fast the world has moved in the last 30 years their their opinions and their their demeanor couldn't be any further apart so it might just be a little bit of a take on that but mm -hmm. yeah there was just there was so much to digest in this i mean the the art the whole way through i thought was was, oh. was pretty damn wonderful uh, 
The uh, do you think do you think Hawk is a reliable or an unreliable narrator? I in a title called the Department of Truth, I can't help but feel he is an unreliable narrator. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's an unreliable story because reality is unreliable, isn't it? Very much so. So it's 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 another title, Department of Truth. That my only worry for it is that it becomes so heavy, almost in the same way we've talked a little bit about a series like die for example that has so many moving parts so many characters so much going on that i do worry at some points that i may get slightly lost in it and it may again read better in long form storytelling but i'm definitely going to give this issue another read even though again my my pull list is as big as it is but i just feel like maybe i've missed something in this issue and maybe just it it warrants a second reading just to maybe pick it up i mean i i I don't think I've missed anything. I spent a fair bit of time on this issue. I was totally engrossed in it. The idea of, uh, you know, so Hawk is explaining to uh, to Cole about connections and metaphors and, and right the way through history, how those things have power and how those things shape the way we think. And therefore, those, those deep, those, those, those deeply ingrained uh, ideals and what they're linked to by, by manipulating the things they're linked to, we can we can manipulate the reality of, of, of the people that believe those things. It's it's so it's so good and it, it comes all the way up through, you know, the pharaohs and the I guess the occult societies and Christians and uh, Christianity co opting how they co-opted different ideals because they knew it would make it easier to control the people whose ideals they were co-opting and how, you know, the devil and the Freemasons and, and all of this sort of stuff. It pulls in a whole lot of stuff in it. I think it has a wee nod towards QAnon and all that all that stuff as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's as you say, very wordy. So much going on. Uh, excellent, excellent stuff. And I think we're, we're going to be addressing Bigfoot next month. Very much so, based on that little, uh, based on that little preview at the back. So, but uh, yeah, I do love, I do love what uh, what James Tennant is doing with this and how how he is unveiling, you know, the big picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very good stuff. It's it's <laughs> it, it manages to embrace conspiracy theory while still making a nonsense out of them, <laughs> uh, which I think is very, very clever. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, that is Department of Truth number nine. So just as we had our monthly check-in with Department of Truth, we had our monthly check-in with Something is Killing the Children. If you haven't listened to us already, it is now time to jump on to this. The first three trades are available, and the the publishers actually say this is a jumping-on point. I'm not sure how much I agree with that. I think that you kind of need those first 15 issues, but... Again, the the trades are available in store, but the reason they're saying this is a jumping on point because this is the beginning of the origin of Erica Slaughter, and one of the things I thought while reading this was this this arc has a better call Saul feel to it, you know, in that we know how mm. horrible Erica's life is going to turn out to be, but that doesn't mean the story can't be a turn surprising and compelling getting through that as well, you know. There's amazing art by Werther Deladere the whole way through this. This this might be the best looking issue so far, I think, uh, in terms of the expressiveness of the eyes the whole way through yeah. it, in terms of, you know, conveying emotion through the art rather than just through the dialogue. 
the, the hopelessness yeah, of some of the situations. It's just a oh, beautiful, beautiful. It's just actually might be my favorite issue so far. Yeah, I mean, it's the story we've been waiting for. It's, you know, the how Erica Slaughter became Erica Slaughter. So, with, I mean, her origin and the origin of her mysterious totem, Octo, uh, and her induction, and I guess our induction into the Order of St. George and the House of Slaughter. Um, so it's part one of the New York. It's me and my monster. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's great tone for the for New York. It's absolutely fantastic. We, we meet... Uh, very young Erica just after her family are slaughtered by a monster and she's uh, she's taken in by one of the uh, by one of the order of, of St. George who apparently contains the monster in Octo and then puts him in a Tupperware uh, to shut him up um, so we're originally we're, we're starting to learn things already like the fact that you know she's not welcome she's an outsider um, the fact that the the individual who inducts her is kind of a rebel with regard to the, the house of or the Order of St. George, you know, uh, kind of nearly a, uh, I don't know who you would compare her to, but, and that whenever they arrive, they have to wear the color of a ma of mask that uh, reflects the person who's inducting them. So in this case, Eric ends up with a black mask, and whenever she qualifies, it will be given teeth. Uh, so that's, all, we're already learning stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm, I am almost frightened to find out what made Eric get into the damaged monster hunting expert we've come to know over the past 15 issues and obviously i think the the death of her family uh killed by the creature that now lives in her teddy is only part of it i think what she's going to experience in the order of st george is is very much the rest of it we meet a young aaron who we know uh, was killed in the previous arc uh so we're, we're we're seeing characters who we we know their fate their final fate already um but yeah this is this was great great yeah, just another brilliant installment, another great example. You know, we talk as well about efficiency of storytelling. You know, there's there's not one wasted page or panel in this, and it's atmospheric as, and creepy as hell all the way through it. There's this great double-page spread of, you know, obviously being taken to the House of Slaughter, and it's just this really eerie-looking, you know, just in the Ooh. middle of suburbia at the same time, or in the middle. In Chicago, no less. Yeah, just brilliant, brilliant book. Again, we cannot keep saying this enough. We've been saying it since issue one. This is two years. Two, two years. years. <laughs> this is one of the best things out there in comic land. So jump on it, whether it's singles or trades or whatever. You know, there is a really beautiful, actually, a uh, hardcover coming soon as well. But don't wait that long. Just jump on the trades. So yeah, something that's killing the children. Reaching issue sixteen there. Something I very much had read was Philadelphia thirteen. So just like with something that's killing the children, this is another one of our favorite horror series, which makes its return this week. And once again, it is another very welcome return. Great art as always. You know, finely tuned storytelling with Philadelphia. Great world building and and an already established nightmare world becomes even darker. Uh, mm. Kicks off the really great scene in a confession booth, which I thought just set the tone really, really well. Uh, the first two trades, of course, are available of this if you want to play catch-up and then jump on the singles. This is the start of Arc 3. And again, it's another one we just can't recommend enough. So, yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, as you said, it's, it's the return of, of Philadelphia. It's been gone for uh, for a few months, and this is the, the start of a, a new arc. It's, I don't know, you could cross between Interview with a Vampire and The Wire. Something along those lines, maybe. If I'd seen The Wire, I might be able to agree with you. Well, you should see The Wire. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, we've we've got the return. We've got the New York, the return of the original antagonist, uh, the second president of the U.S., John Adams, which enrages the current antagonist, his wife, uh, his undead wife, Abigail. And we also have the introduction of a third party, uh, Thomas Jefferson, the undead third president of the United States. And we'll see how that goes. So this is a, a total status quo shaker, uh, while also continuing directly on from the previous issue. And with regard what's to what's going on in the in the in the Sangster family, uh, between uh, Sangster Senior and Sangster Junior, uh, after the last issue, will not uh, will not sort of go into. But uh, yeah, this is really this has really changed things around. I don't know, don't know how things are going to land on that. You know, as uh, well, I guess at this stage we can we can say that that uh, both father and son are uh, are vampirized. Would that be uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, very much so. I mean, he's, he's at least now he won't interrupt his dad when he's actually trying to you know go into the afterlife to meet his mother again. You know, he'll he'll understand the the darkness of this life moving forward. So, yeah, and, just uh, great great title, Philadelphia. I mean, we we obviously chatted before with you know two separate pods. Actually, we chatted with writer Rodney Barnes. We chatted with the artist Jason Sean Alexander and. This is a title that you can just feel the love emanating from the page as well. This is that they, they love. Are, that's love. They are heavily invested in this. <laughs> I mean, that final a, page was horrifying. There's a thin line between love and hate, Keith. A thin line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the backstory, the Elysium Gardens backstory, uh, has hit uh, six six parts, uh, and uh, you know it's 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 starting to I think get close to uh, to to crossing over a little bit. Uh, with with what's happening here, so yeah, this is this is a it's probably as good a jumping on point as you're going to get issue thirteen. So we're uh, say two trades, two arcs deep, um, but pick up those two uh, those two trades and then get on this from the single issues. And uh, say if you do want more information, it was episode one seventeen we interviewed Rodney Barnes, and episode one thirty three we interviewed uh, Jason Sean Alexander both. Both lovely, lovely folks, uh, and uh, we look forward to chatting to them again a little further down the line, maybe. I'd say so. Hopefully, we'll get them together next time, so that you know we can get rid of that he said, she said dynamic that they shared by interviewing them separately. You know, so and then just one last indie one to throw up as an honourable mention. This is uh, the Old Guard Tales Through Time number two. So the old guard, of course, is a long-term favorite of the pod. Uh, we, we we've chatted about it before. We've recommended it before. This is a, a slightly different format in a way. This is essentially a collect an anthology uh, format, which is collecting uh, various stories throughout time. Uh, this is clearly being utilized, I think, as a little bit of a gap filler while they move on to the old guard volume three. But this is no mere gap filler. This is a brilliant format. It's a really good way of filling in backstory without compromising the series the series present day narrative you've got different creators on every story each time so for this one we are treated to two individual stories one called bonsai shokunin which is written by kelly Sudaconic and art by valentine delandro and then we also have a title uh, sorry a second story called strong medicine written by eric troutman and art by mike henderson so I was looking forward to this one, especially just because I'm a big fan of Mike Henderson, artist on Nailbiter, along with Joshua Williamson. And not only that, in this, it is a cowboy-based story. So what did you think of this? I'm guessing you probably preferred story one to story two. Uh, no. no? I, I, I liked them both. I thought they were both 
beautiful stories. Um, I mean, this is obviously the 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 whole thing of Old Guard is these are a group of immortals in the modern day. They're mercenaries. They fought together, experienced all sorts of war and violence. And you know, in the modern day, they use they take the big bucks to help those in need. Uh, so this is sort of discovering something more about each of the characters or the characters around at different points in history. But uh, the first one, the Kelly Sue DeConnick story follows Noriko, who was uh, Andy's, uh, I guess, one of Andy's loves uh, and, and had a bit of a tragic, uh, a bit of a tragic story. And also, I think, featured in the in the, in the movie, didn't she? But um, but uh, sometimes I get the comics and the movie mixed up in my head. But uh because they were such adaptions of one another, but it's it's set in feudal Japan. I can see why you would automatically assume that I love yeah. this because of the the feudal Japan martial arts samurai sort of sort of culture. And I thought what she did here. So we've got the idea of this uh, this aging uh, as old samurai. You know, he's he's trimming the the bonsai tree, and I guess it's comparing. You know, as he trims the branches off the bonsai tree, he's comparing it to the. I guess the lives that he's trimmed in service of his lord, and there's some real fantastic. But what they really do is, the immortal character who you would expect to be the main character isn't. You know, she's Nariko isn't the main character. That's the the samurai, and it's just his experiences with Nariko uh, throughout the ages, and then his final experience with Nariko that that makes the story. Um, but I, I mean, I, I I love the Wild West as well. And uh, that I think the st- that one had the the edge for me a wee bit. What yeah, I mean, I, I love the whole idea that the 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 Wild West story is basically set around the idea of uh, these gunslingers trying to use doctors to bring a, it's his son, isn't it, back to life? And brother, <laughs> his brother, sorry. And I love that that's taken place in the presence of an actual immortal. Which I just think's really sort of darkly funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm a big, big fan of the artist here, and I think he needs to jump onto a Wild West title at the earliest possible, uh, at the earliest yeah, possible I'd time. Be, I'd be down with that. I mean, it's I loved the story. I loved it. so we had it's set in 1870, and the character we're following is Book uh, Sebastian, uh, and he's passing through uh, the town of Gothic, Colorado, and uh, as you say, he runs a photo of these outlaws that are mourning their dead brother and causing trouble at the same time and they i guess find out just how difficult it is to kill an immortal uh but we also i thought was really cool was you get to see an example of how the immortals actions through history you know reflect you know into the future because i don't know if you noticed alan but uh on the uh, on the, the last page uh the uh the doctor drives away on his cart. The doctor, the healer that that book saved from hanging, mm-hmm. uh, drives away on his cart, and his uh, his cart says Professor Milford Merrick. Uh, now, if you're uh, if you're familiar with the the old guard, uh, you'll uh, you'll recall who who Merrick was in the old guard. Yes, no, fill me in. Uh, Merrick was uh, Merrick was the doctor uh, that uh, that was slicing the guys up, ah. uh, trying to find out their uh, trying to find out you know what trying to made find their... out what made them immortal. Yes, exactly. Uh, so that's you know obviously what what happened here. 
those stories echo through history and we now understand how the doctor Merrick, came to know yeah yes exactly you know through Coakley and, and and all of that stuff but yeah i thought that was i thought that was brilliant but i also enjoyed just the the scenes that the in the first story the 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 scenes how how Valentin Delandro has has portrayed, you know, the samurai and his actions, and how he was first put down, and it was first put down, and and Noriko had mercy on him whenever he was a child, whenever he was a young man, and then, you know, he 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 kills he kills her, he cheats and kills her, uh, and then throughout the ages, variously, she's involved in battles, and he kills her, and he kills her again and again without without maybe realizing it's her, uh, and then maybe finally he does realize and. Uh, uh, it was just such a it was just such a great story. Uh, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed this. I thought, I thought uh, the old guard not written by, by, by Greg Rucka, not, uh, not not illustrated by, uh, Leandro Fernandez, was going to be hard. But this is this is class. I look forward to this every issue. And uh, it's a six issue mini, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, six issues in total and then a variety of different writers and artists i mean yeah that's that's a great bit of writing actually at the end now that you've pointed that bit out just because as the doctor goes off the first thing he promises for his life being saved is at the very least sir i can offer my discretion which he obviously doesn't because he tells uh-huh, people about yes, it yes uh-huh. and then the last line is it would be a hell of a story to tell my grandchildren so that's uh uh-huh. that's very clever very clever uh-huh. So yeah, that's the end of issue two for that one. And then again, it's different creators each issue. So for issue three, hitting June 23rd, we have a story written by Bram Michael Bendis and art by Michael Avan Owemin and Taki Soma. So that's essentially the, the team that made Powers. And then you have a story by Robert McKenzie and David Walker and Justin Greywood. So another one to look forward to there. But yeah, just I love the format. As I say, the, the worry is that you know, you can, the modern book can suffer if you do too many flashbacks and this kind of thing, but this is a good way of filling in backstory without compromising, you know, what you're setting mm. up in the modern world, so. And I have to say that that final, that final uh, issue of the, tr- the final story of the trilogy of, of Old Guard that's coming soon from the original Old Guard team is my most anticipated story in comics at the minute i'm really really looking forward to that seeing how seeing how the the story ends for our immortals and those are very big words right there so yeah that is the old guard tales through time number two and that is the end of the honorable mentions so outside of that we'll always go for a couple of picks of the week so uh i did think that the marvel honorable mentions were a little light you were clearly saving the best to last for yourself well that that is true. Uh, my pick of the week uh, this week is uh, X-Men number 20. Uh, it is uh, by Jonathan Hickman as uh, he winds up his uh, his run on X-Men. And uh, the art was by Francesco Mobili, uh, Sonny Go on Colours. So this is, as I say, this is the penultimate issue, Hickman's penultimate issue of X-Men before he hands the title over to uh, Jerry. Very careful and uh, well-earned hands of Jerry Duggan, who's been doing great work on on Marauders and on the uh, the Hellfire Gala. And I mean, I would say you could say that Hickman. The biggest criticism of, of of Hickman is maybe focusing sometimes on the big ideas too much, forgetting about specific character beats and and that sort of thing. And I don't necessarily think that's a fair criticism, especially when you're reading the likes of Decorum, where he's he's focusing very well on on characters. But this issue of X Men. 
he finds brilliantly a way to do both. Um, it's it's a real uh, gut punch about family and grief and killer robots. And it ties up another loose end of uh, Hickman's run on the book, as I say, which is, is coming to a close. Does a great job on this chapter, but he's also done a great job on the last two chapters. And it's hard to say which ones are the best. I'd highly recommend pick up uh, 18 and 19 as well. So Mystique is at the core of this book. Uh, she has failed again. Magneto and Xavier are still stringing her along. Uh, and it's it's great to see how this, this plot line develops. So the key to Mystique here is Mystique's drive is that she wants to see her wife, Destiny, resurrected. But of course, we know from uh, from uh, House of X and Powers of X that the thing that can't happen is Destiny cannot be resurrected because we know about the many futures of Moira McTaggart, the many lives of Moira McTaggart. And, you know, that what's happening in Krakoa is just, is just one of those timelines. And Xavier and, and, and Magneto and... The hidden Moira McTaggart can't. The the future can't be revealed, or, or everything would everything would fall apart. So they're they're going to continue to string her along, and she doesn't know that. The art uh, by uh, say Francesco Mobilis is absolutely fantastic. It's almost almost perfect, uh, and it, it almost feels like whenever you read these issues, it almost feels like if. If Hickman didn't feel the need to jump into maybe crossovers and tie-ins, and that's not a criticism because I love the crossovers and tie-ins, that there were other things that he that he could have done with this book. It feels like a return to the to the core tenant of the of the promise of 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 House and Powers, um, and it's yeah, it's re- it's really it's really really awesome. So we have we have Mystique returning to the Orcus Forge, which was the uh, I guess the the center of the conspiracy against mutants, the human conspiracy against mutants, uh, that that started the X Men, uh, that started the story, and it revolves around her quest to destroy Nimrod and get Destiny back. Forge is in here. He uh, builds some weapons for her and has a great scene. Uh, you know, he, he builds her, uh, I guess, a, effectively a small nuke that would destroy the Orcus, the Archers Forge, and. Uh, you know we have the bad guys so the, the, i guess the anti-mutant conspiracy up in the in space revolving around the sun on the argus forge and uh alia gregor's do- the doctor who is at the center of the i guess this conspiracy and their technology her husband has been killed her husband erasmus has been killed in a previous mutant attack and she has input his mind into Nimrod. Now, I don't know, Alan, if you're familiar with Nimrod. Not but, overly. Uh, in, in X-Men mythos, Nimrod is the ultimate evolution of the Sentinel, and the creation of Nimrod is a bad thing. Do you remember Powers of X? The Nimrod Sentinel was in charge of, of all of this, so so that's where that is all going to go. So, so yeah, so the, the, I guess Erasmus's mind is in the body of Nimrod, and uh, but it's a, it's a triumph that's cut short as, as Mystique is detected. She's able to set off the bomb, but Nimrod duplicates, saves the life of his wife, uh, but in doing so, one of the duplicates is killed, and that destroys, I guess, half of his mind uh, and, and leaves Nimrod the uh, the cold-hearted AI, that Sentinel that, that he is. So it's 
Yeah, I mean, just whenever whenever Hickman gets down to gets down to the, I guess the the brass tacks of it, it's absolutely amazing. And as I say, this is right back to the House of X, Powers of X stuff, and just as as it's fantastic, it's Forge gets a brilliant speech about technology and the human proclivity to make excuses for our destructive tendencies, and that fits back into the book later. Uh, Alia Gregor has created this method of resurrection, resurrecting her husband. That is a, a dark mirror of of what the mutants are doing on Krakoa, you know. But they're using technology instead of, I guess, mutation and 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 Krakoan technology. So it's it's just it's a really fantastic moment. But there's uh, so there's a lot of you know with the, the relationship between Alia and Erasmus and the, the creation of, of of Nimrod. There's a lot of real fantastic emotional beats. Xavier and Magneto just pulling one over on Mystique. You almost you you kind of hate them a wee bit. You know these uh, architects of Krakoa and and the the, the new mutant future. You you, you really kind of you kind of hate them. But there's a there's a line at the end. Uh, Doctor Doctor Devo. Who is the the head of, of of Orcus? He's been watching Nimrod, and and he gets a great moment as well. He's talking to the Omega Sentinel after the death, after after Forge's destruction and uh, the destruction of Forge's weapon, and so forth. And he comes to the realization that with everything the mutants are doing, the, all the bluster and bravado, that they hate humanity and they fear humanity, and that is fantastic because. If you remember the the original, the old line that uh, the X Men were mutants who were fighting against, who were fighting for a world that hates and fears them, uh, and now we have mutants hating and fearing humanity. So it's it's a real, it was a real expert Hickman issue, and uh, it finishes with the first appearance of uh, Moira since House and Powers of X, and. Uh, we're we're looking at at the same time it's against the backdrop of of something that destiny told mystique she said there will be an island not the first but the last because previously utopia was a was an x-men island this place will seem to be the hope of our kind when those days come remember these words bring me back and if you cannot if they will not then burn that place to the ground and uh that's one of destiny's many predictions and then it finishes with uh it finishes with a coming this fall inferno, which of course is a is the, the title of an old X Men story that involved hell coming to coming to Earth and the mutants fighting it. But it makes me wonder now if if uh, we're we're seeing Hickman's final plan. You know, is is if Destiny isn't resurrected, is is Mystique going to burn the place down around their ears? What you know, it's it's so exciting, and I wonder I wonder is this why Hickman's stepping away is because he's he's planning this big this big inferno event uh, uh, for the for the autumn but uh, yeah great uh, great issue one of my favorite issues of x-men so far it has been a strong book but these last three issues have been have been really strong the next issue will be part of the hellfire gala and we'll see the announcement of the new x team and uh, jerry duggan will move forward from there but i sincerely hope that hickman continues to be the head of x and we continue to see the plan that he's laid down so expertly uh, develop Excellent. I mean, when it comes to X Men and so forth, I just found it a little bit, not X Men itself, but just the whole X line a little tough to keep up with. So I've sort of stuck to trades and stuck to omnibuses and compendiums and stuff like that. So 
the upcoming Hellfire Gal will certainly be jumping into in that way. I'll be mm. curious to see what happens with X-Men number one with Jerry Duggan. I mean, is that going to be a, a completely self-contained book or are they still all going to link very closely together the way they do at the moment? I think they will continue to... We're, we're looking at it. It's a new paradigm for X-Men. You know, the idea they're, they're, they're on Krakoa. It's, Hickman has, has resurrected this line. You mm-hmm. know, he's, he's taken what was the biggest selling books that have dropped off that have now become great books again, you know? So I, I, I do think they'll very much continue along this, along this, this line, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not necessary. I think Hellfire Gala will demonstrate this. It's not necessary to read all the X books uh, in order to understand them. You can, you can read your favorites, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just sort of done such a great job of, of reinvigorating this, this line. I'm looking forward to, to what comes next and yeah the, the hellfire gala stuff that i've read so far has been brilliant one night from so many different points of view excellent so case pick of the week then for 26th of may was x-men number 20 and it's interesting that you ended by saying it was uh, all about one fateful night as that will lead to my pick of the week seamless it's almost like i planned it <laughs> So, yeah, so my pick of the week this week is a title from AWA Studios. It's uh, Casual Fling, issue four of four. So we come to the end of my porn book, as Paddy of this parish likes to refer to it as. And for me, it did not disappoint. This was a title that went straight to the top of my pile every time it came out. Uh, it's written by Jason Starr and art by Dalibor Talahitch. It's very much adult storytelling at its best. It's As I say, it's another product of the AWA production line. And it is another brilliantly told, self-contained story. You know, I always like to recommend different titles, different genres. You know, I, I We always talk about in Coffee and Heroes a lot that there is a comic for everyone. Not everything has to be superhero universes. Not everything has to be a zombie book. There really is a story for everyone. And Casual Fling is about as far removed from a superhero story as comics could possibly be. It's an adult thriller about power, sex, and also how privacy no longer exists in the modern world. The main character we follow is uh, called Jennifer, who seemingly has the perfect life, you know, a loving family, uh, a high-paying job in a law firm. But all of this is thrown into doubt and under threat after a one-night stand. Of course, the problem with the modern world is everybody has a camera, everyone has a phone, everyone can record anything at a moment's notice. And because of this footage exists of her infidelity, and if she doesn't pay her blackmailer a large sum of money, they will destroy her personal and professional life. So by issue four, which is the uh, the concluding issue of this series, Jennifer is looking to turn the tables on her blackmailer. She's found out a little bit more about them. She's found out about different aliases they've used to this point. She's found out that this is not their first time. But because this is not their first time, you know, are they already prepared for her and whatever she's going to try and do as a return plan? You know, can she somehow make it out of the situation and salvage some of her old life? Or is this, you know, going to be a title that's all about a ma- being a massive cautionary tale? It was just really tightly plotted. It introduced interesting characters and it actually had something to say about about relationships, whether, you know, long term or fleeting. You know, I, I mentioned Dalapur Talahitch, you know, the art is consistent all the way through. It's it. it it simultaneously shows sort of the seductive side of power and the high life and the single life and that kind of thing. But it's also able to capture sort of the everyday magic of being part of a family. You know, it's it's just it's another excellent genre title from AWA Comics. And there was recent news about uh, them forming AWA Studios, which is going to be used for movie adaptations. And this would definitely be a contender for that. 
you know, it will be hitting trade very, very soon. And, you know, it comes really highly recommended. It provides a really welcome distraction from the worlds of spandex. Well, a different kind of spandex anyway. <laughs> so just can't recommend enough. Just a really cool, well-told adult story. Uh, I'm sorry I can't go into it in the, the same amount of depth and love that Keith has for the, the revered X-Men universe, but it's a story very much, it's a bit twisty, a bit turny, the, the sort of less you know going into it, the better, but AWA are just knocking out of the park for me at the moment, you know, they're, they're genre stories, they're well-worn tropes and well-worn tales, but they're approached with, you know, good creators, they're approached with earnestness, and and again there's something for everyone you know if it's not the adult thriller of you know casual fling it's steampunk western of redemption or it's horror of year zero or it's superhero building of resistance you know it's it's a really really great label and this is actually genuinely one of my favorites from it so far so keep an eye for the trade for it guys if it if it sounds like your kind of thing because it's just a really really well told story so uh yeah casual fling number four for me for my pick of this week so uh you can now read the porn book patty if you're listening (laughs) so that brings an end to the reviews then for the 26th of may releases so the next show we're going to be doing is going to be covering the 2nd of june so we always like to finish off with what were the three titles we were looking forward to most this might be a slight cheat because we may have already read them. Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> but the titles I was looking forward to most for me this week were uh, Batman Animated Adventures Continues. So we're hitting volume two of this. This is a, uh, a new number one coming out this week. So this has been uh, very much shepherded um, from the from the original animated series. You have uh, Alan Burnett working on this. You have Paul Dini working on this. And you have Ty Templeton on art. And the first volume of this was great it focused very much on red hood and on characters who didn't exist in the animated universe and now we're introducing the court of owls so this had me very interested straight away and also you have dead man uh pulling up in this as well as a as a little bit of a foil for batman you also have batman 109 so continuing on with uh james tinney the fourth and jorge jimenez's uh bat titles and also continuing with the ghost maker backup stories as well and then any week that has new deadly class is a good week for me so we're deadly class 46 now so we're into the second part of the latest story arc there what about yourself keith what were your most uh anticipated titles for this week has to be firepower number 12 it's the end of uh the robert kirkman and chris samney uh martial arts thriller uh it's the end of their first story arc uh be the, the first year of firepower uh, been a wild ride and uh, apparently everything has been leading to this moment scorched earth clan and the order of the playing fist are facing off one final time and owen has fully re-entered the world he left behind and uh, apparently from this point on everything changes it's oversized and it's not to be missed uh, so uh, i think we're both looking forward to that one would be fair to say alan um marauders 21 by uh, by jerry dugan uh, and uh I think it's John Bolton on art, um, Matteo Lolly, uh, and it is you're currently invited to the Hellfire Gala, uh, out with the old, a tale of uh, Hellfire Gala past. So this was uh, uh, Marauders. I'm looking forward to as the, there's uh, there's no order to read them in, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm very much looking forward to this because Jerry Duggan is the is the mind behind the Hellfire Gala. So this. And uh, planet-sized X-Men are the two that I was really looking looking forward to. Uh, but this is the the Hellfire Trading Company has put together the biggest event of the season, the very first Hellfire Gala 
Everyone will be there, all your favourite mutants, their closest allies, and even their worst enemies for a night of dinner, drinks, diplomacy, and deceit, fireworks to follow. Uh, plus from the archives, a classic X-Men tale with our very first look at a Hellfire Gala by Chris Claremont and John Bolton. Uh, so that'll be one I'll be uh, uh, looking forward to. And then finally, James Tinney and the Fourth, Nice House on the Lake, number one. Uh, we don't know too much about this. We haven't been looking too deeply into it, but everyone who was invited to the house knows Walter. Well, they know him a little anyway. Some met him in childhood, some met him months ago, and Walter's always been a little off. But after the hardest year of their lives, nobody was going to turn down Walter's invitation to an, an astonishingly beautiful house in the woods overlooking an enormous sylvan lake. It's beautiful, it's often it's private. So a week of putting up with Walter's weird little schemes and nicknames in exchange for a vacation of a lifetime, why not? Uh, all of them were there at the moment of their lives uh, when they could make them, they could feel themselves pulling away from their other friends. Uh, wouldn't a chance to reconnect be nice? So this is, as I say, we've we've talked about James Tinney and tonight, uh, something killing the children, the Department of Truth, Batman. So uh, I mean, we know what this guy does for the face of horror in modern comics. So this has been called his most ambitious story yet with his Detective Comics partner. Uh, Alvaro Martinez Bueno. So this this will be something, I think. Yeah, something tells me we may have uh, a little bit to say about this on the next pod, to say the least. So, but again, just another scenario where it's follow the creators. We purposely stayed vague on the the story details for this, and definitely the best way to go into this book. But mm -hmm. more on that on the next pod. So there we go. That is us up to date then for the releases from 26th of May. We will be back with you soon uh, where we'll be looking over the 2nd of June releases as well. Mm -hmm.